Welcome to The Human Source, the IRIS Interviews podcast. I'm Steph Kelly, Chief People Officer at IRIS Software Group. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our amazing guest speaker, Jason Averbuck, Senior Partner at Mercer and author of The Ultimate Guide to Digital Workforce Experience. Jason, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Oh, thank you. I'd love to, but I'm going to be really quick about it because I'm old. So that could take the whole show. So here at Mercer, I lead our digital strategy advisory services, as well as all of our Gen AI advisory services on a global basis, which is really how do we help organizations understand the world of digital today, the world of data today, and then with where Gen AI is, what the intersection is and how Gen AI and AI in general will start to influence the way that the HR function and the workforce works going forward. So uh, I feel like I'm in a very privileged position to be able to work with you know some of the most prestigious companies in the world. And I think we're living at the most magical time ever in the world of HR and digitization. We have better tools than we've ever had before. So really, really excited about the future. I'm based in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the United States. I have two boys. They're 18 and 16, and they keep me going on a daily basis to try to make the world of work better for them when they enter the workforce. Amazing. I love that. Making the world of work better for them. Really good motto to have. Really excited to talk about issues or opportunities such as Gen I a little bit later, but to bring us back to kind of perhaps some of the basics and set context for our listeners. As HR professionals, we know there are endless questions that need answering every day. For example, does a particular department have a high churn? Is an employee struggling to meet objectives? Are hybrid workers performing better? And the key thing to answer these questions is good data. And today we'll be exploring how data can support strategic decisions and create a happier and more engaged workforce to your motto. So my first question, Jason, is how can the HR function re-image itself from a support function to a strategic powerhouse? Yeah, it's a great question. And you know, the concept of strategic powerhouse is such a strong term and great branding. You know, and to get there from where you started to where you said strategic powerhouse, it doesn't happen overnight. Every day is an incremental step forward towards that. And to me, it's all about what are you doing? Are you looking backwards or are you looking forwards? You know, if we're looking backwards, we're doing things like on reporting our churn for the last month, which, by the way, is important. Are we doing things like what our cost per hire, our time to fill is for the last month, which is important. And I call that looking at ourselves in the mirror from an HR function. Like we're looking at our own measures, our measures of how we're doing to truly turn into that strategic powerhouse back to the terminology that you used. You know, what we want to do is we want to stop looking in the mirror only Let's start to turn that mirror into a window. And when I say turning it into a window, not looking at ourselves, but looking at the impact that we're making on work, looking at the impact we're making on the workforce, and truly starting to say, what are the measures that we want to show up at the table with to move that dial to more of a strategic powerhouse type approach? So really, really important to me to help HR understand that there's two types of understanding. And I mean, first of all, in order to move, you have to measure. And when we say in order to move to measure, what are we measuring? Are we measuring ourselves? Are we measuring the impact of ourselves on something greater? And the answer to that has to be both in HR. There's a direct correlation between the two. 
but to draw that correlation is where a lot of organizations fall short. Great answer. And I like in order to move, you have to measure. So moving on now to key areas where employee data can specifically help a business improve its people strategy. What are your thoughts there? So it's a great question. And it's one that I probably do most of my work on on a daily basis, which is how do you make sure that a people strategy is in alignment to a corporate strategy or business strategy or organizational strategy? And then at the same time, taking that people strategy and saying, are we doing the right things tied to that business strategy, A? And then B, what are the things that we're going to call our measures of success? So what are the things that we're going to say make us successful? And it's not just keeping the lights on. That's low-hanging fruit. It's what are we doing to move the needle back to the business objectives or the organizational objectives that we set forward. So for example, if one of the organization's strategic goals for the year is to improve net promoter score with its customers, you know, what I should be doing from a people strategy is making sure that my people strategy aligns to what can we do to improve net promoter score and then making sure that I can draw the correlation between my actions as a people function and that measure of net promoter score so I can show I impact if it's profitability, if it's divestiture of companies, if it's acquisitions, if it's a better workforce experience, which it's always going to be more than one, but it's making sure that there's that direct correlation, that direct alignment. And I'll say just pausing for a day, get your teams in an offsite for a day and say, let's look at the corporate strategy. Let's look at our people strategy and then say, what are the things that we're going to do to directly impact that? And keep going back to that and keep measuring against that because that's what's going to draw the correlation. And once again, I'll go back to the previous question. That's what's going to make you a strategic powerhouse. I think there's a big, big difference between a strategic powerhouse and a powerhouse. A powerhouse is really good at doing transactions. A strategic powerhouse is really good at making those transactions count towards an overall business outcome. I absolutely love that. Big difference between a powerhouse and a strategic powerhouse. I shall be repeating that in my next HR meeting. And actually, one of the things that I feel that I've kind of learned most about and feel massive growth around, because it's something I've been really like focusing on in my whole entire career in HR, which is improving productivity. And a couple of years ago, we implemented in quite a light touch, but quite a concise manner, we implemented an OKR system which had the whole executive team at the top define four key priorities for the company and then each function in the business to decide their priorities that were going to align and support with those. So to your good point about getting HR in a room for a day, uh, that's exactly what we did. We had everyone in a room and went, if these are the four priorities, what are the most critical things that we can do? So for example, one of our priorities, of course, is revenue, as I'm sure all for-profit businesses are. Uh, so one of the things that we now measure ourselves on in Iris, in our recruitment team, is the percentage of vacancies that we have. So it's something, and it's something I, I do genuinely feel really proud of, because I think in doing this, we're focusing not on busy work and not on being a powerhouse, but we are focusing on being a strategic powerhouse. So thank you again for that phrase. If you could pick 
three KPIs for HR leaders to report to the board and be measured on, what would they be? So you know that based on my previous answer, and it's not consulting speak, but it truly does depend. It has to depend on what the strategic goals are of the company. So I'm not going to name three because the minute you name three, then everyone starts measuring three and the three might not matter. My time to fill doesn't matter if I'm hiring two people this year. It might, but that's probably not the right measure. If I'm upskilling an organization, if that's my job, you know, am I picking the right skills and am I seeing the impact of my upskilling? You know, if I'm focusing on a diversity and equity pay model, you know, am I making sure that I'm not just uh, showing the impact of a pay change, but I'm actually showing the impact on the organization's culture and the employee engagement based on the fact of doing these types of things. So the reason I don't throw out three metrics is because I don't love when organizations say, hey, Jason Averbrook said, these are the three things we should measure. Because, you know, once again, we were having the conversation in the pre-show about this ring. I wore this ring to track how my sleep is and how I'm feeling, this aura ring. But at the same time, if someone doesn't want to track how they're sleeping or how they're feeling, this ring's useless. So I think it's really, really important to say, what are those measures that matter? What are those measures that are going to move the needle for the entity? And then work backwards to then how do I get to what I should be measuring from an HR point of view? But I will just say, if we're looking for categories, talent measures are so important. And, you know, I like to really think about this in the concept of how do we stop focusing on counting people, but making people count? Okay. And when we say making people count, that's everything from making sure they're onboarded correctly and efficiently, making sure they're in the right jobs, making sure they have career opportunities, making sure I'm understanding how they're feeling. All of those types of things are things that shift from counting people to making people count. So any of the listeners like connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm happy to have a conversation, good or bad after doing this for a long time. You can look at a corporate strategy. You know, we're going to talk about Gen AI in a second. Take your corporate strategy, take out the name, plug it into ChatGPT and say, based on the corporate strategy, what should you measure? And you will be fascinated. You'll be fascinated at how good the results are. That's amazing. Should we move on to Gen AI now? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, so first of all, there are no experts in this space. So I'm not going to say that I'm an expert. But one of the things that's fascinating to me, and it's always been something that I've done since day zero. And when I say day zero, you have to realize I started in this industry implementing payroll on DOS-based systems that connected to mainframes. And, you know, one of my first oh shit moments, excuse me for swearing on the podcast, was when all of a sudden Windows came out and people had to start using a mouse. And they're like, whoa, I used to do heads down data entry. Now all of a sudden I'm using a mouse and I have to look up to see where the cursor is. So I've always tried to take emerging technologies and break them down for the HR function into things that they can understand. And not just understand from the standpoint of understanding them, but understanding what the potential is for HR to actually do their jobs better and to make a bigger impact. Generative AI will be the one technology innovation so far that will have the biggest impact on HR ever. And 
there's three reasons I say that. The first reason is it's the first technology that we've ever had as an HR function that's goal is to make people happy. Not to frustrate them, but to make people happy. To get them the answer they're looking for. Okay, we've had a bunch of chat bots we've thrown out and they've either been creepy or crappy. Um, we've put out knowledge bases that haven't been able to find things. We've rolled out something called self-service that no one wanted to do self-service. We could go on and on and on and on. Generative AI is the first technology that's ever really been there that's goal is to satisfy people and to make people happy. So that's the first reason it's going to be a massive game changer. The second reason is because when you think about HR work, we think about HR work and we break it out into hands work, heads work, and hearts work. And what we haven't been able to do as an HR function is to get rid of the hands work. Even though we've had technology, you know, our HR business partners still are HR transaction partners for the most part. They're not HR business partners. And what generative AI do will eliminate most of, if not all of the hands work, if used correctly, which will allow HR to upskill itself, to focus on the heads work, taking data, telling stories, helping organizations make decisions on the data, and then the hearts work, which is truly drive empathy. And then the third thing that generative AI is going to do is it's going to come up with a bunch of correlations naturally based on the fact that I'm looking at data sets that are much larger, much more complex, much more east-west instead of north-south, not silos, but across the entire enterprise to help me actually understand the impact of the things I'm doing in HR. Those three things are going to change the role of HR drastically forever. And, and that's really, really exciting. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners, can you give us an example of how you think Gen AI will limit the hands work in relation to our topic specifically today, which is data and data analytics? I mean, it's going to be everything from how do I focus on the transaction journey in making sure that I give employees a prompt in order to update their data instead of navigating unruly systems and intranets and link farms to get to their data or to get to processes all the way through how do I focus on, you know, automation to say, hey, you know, when I put my data in, it automatically sends it to eight other places so I don't have to re-enter my data eight times. So, I mean, the concept of data, I should never have more than one source of truth when it comes to data. And what I oftentimes do is create shadow systems and shadow databases within systems, within companies, in order to do that. What generative AI do is will normalize all of that for me. Even if I do have shadow systems, I'm still normalizing the data to create one source of the truth. And when I have that one source of the truth, it's going to save me a ton of time in cleansing, auditing my data to get it to a point that's usable. Thank you. And at what stage do you think HR managers should look at the kind of structure of their team and find some budget and change some roles so that we have a person or persons focusing on this. Is that time now? And if so, kind of what does that job description, I know you don't like the word job description, but what does that look like? So the time is now. Every HR organization in the world should have generative AI or AI capabilities built into their digital HR strategy for 2024. Like hands down, it doesn't make any sense. Like you might as well go out of business if you don't. 
Okay, now what does that mean? You know, that doesn't mean a lot of budget. It means that where we're at with this technology is that we're starting to experiment. We're starting to test and learn. It's a playground. All playgrounds have rules, so I'm not saying go crazy with it and don't push your classmate off the swing type thing. All playgrounds have rules. That's what governance is. You know, all streets have traffic lights for the most part. That's what governance is. So for every five things that the media writes about that are negatives, there really are about 15 things that are positives. You have to see through the negatives to get to the positives. But, you know, every organization as part of their digital HR strategy should be starting to think about what are some use cases for the use of generating content where we struggle generating content. And I'm, 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 I'm totally simplifying this for purposes of this discussion. If it takes us too long to create a training class, mm-hmm. if it takes us too long to create job descriptions, if it takes us too long to create onboarding courses, materials, if it takes us too long to create our benefits communications, whatever kind of content that you have in your organization that you say, you know what, it's taking too long. And this is mundane low value work that's where generative ai has a huge impact on the organization and you should be experimenting today amazing what an amazing call to action Uh, moving on now do you think hr leaders struggle to use data effectively if so why is this and what are your suggestions so first of all so the answer to your question is yes Uh, struggle i'm not sure is the right word I think the right way to say this is, and by the way, I've been thinking about this for my whole career. First of all, the business doesn't know what HR is capable of. Oftentimes when HR shows up to the quote unquote strategy table, what HR brings are measures of itself instead of measures on the impact of the business. Because of that, HR isn't given a chance to show its data chops. B, HR spends a lot of time looking at itself, measuring itself instead of measuring the impact. So therefore, its data is oftentimes inwardly focused instead of outwardly focused. Third, a lot of times our HR data is in the language of HR, which people outside of HR don't speak HR. They don't want to spell HR. They're scared when HR calls them. So... We want to think about how is this a people function, not an HR function, and how is everything that we're generating from a data standpoint showing the impact that our people, which is our largest expense line in the company, have on our business. You know, and then the fourth thing is being able to not just give people data, but give people data with actions tied to them. So making prescriptions. My son, my 16-year-old, has COVID right now. If I go to the doctor and the doctor says, your kid has COVID, and then the doctor leaves, what do I do? Now, COVID's maybe not a great example, but if my kid has the flu or my kid has pneumonia, what do I do if the doctor just says, your kid has pneumonia and walks out? That's oftentimes what we do with HR data. We hand people data that they don't know what to do with. They don't know what it means. They don't know how to use it. They don't know what the prescription is to actually take action on it. And when HR does that, not only does it show that it's 
tone deaf to the business, but it also shows that it doesn't really understand what the business can do with that data to make an impact. So it's a little bit of a long-winded answer. I apologize, but it's really, really important that HR speaks the language of the business and the data that it shows is shown in the language of the business, not in the language of HR. Yeah. I think that's a really useful answer for us. It's an amazing reminder. And again, we've got real world example of this. And one of the things I'm proudest of is the way that we're using data here at Iris within our people function to be in support of our broader business priorities. So I talked about the percentage of headcount, revenue generating headcount that's missing at any time. But also we're measuring things like we want to transform all of our technologies to the cloud. Most of it's in the cloud at the moment. But sometimes we have older bits of technology, we want to transform those to the cloud. And one of the things that we're measuring in uh, the people function is data around those cloud skills that we've got. And we know that we're going to be hiring more and developing more people with those skills that we need to hit one of those top four priorities for us. Moving on now, how can HR leaders generate the data needed and that which will be most valuable to the business? So we talked about Gen AI. Uh, what other suggestions do you have for us? So it's really important when we're thinking about design to understand this concept that processes generate data, but journeys, a great journey leads to a better process. Okay, now let me explain what that means just really quickly. If I take a system and I have a system that I let's just call it system A. And I have a link on my intranet that says, click here for system A. And once I go into system A, what I'm trying to do is update my talent profile of skills I have, new training classes I've taken, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That might be a great process. Let's just say it might be a great process because guess what? Once I update my talent profile, then someone actually calls me and says, hey, based on the fact that you did this, maybe you should think about this job. Now, that's nirvana, what I just said, because that's not even happening in most organizations. One of the things I oftentimes ask is, why does LinkedIn have better data about our people than we do? Why does LinkedIn know more about our employees than we do? Just think about that for a second, because LinkedIn actually provides more value to our employees than we do based on having that data. So... I have to actually build journeys in a way that provide data and value back to the workforce in order to get the data from them. You know, it's a concept I call give to get. So I have to give value in order to get data. So no employees are going to spend their time just doing, oh, let's do HR a favor today and put in our data, <laughs> you know, and then never get anything from it. Like it's not going to happen. It's proven that it doesn't work. So how can HR get better data by building better journeys that engage the workforce? Like we all today, we all give our data to sources. What example, you know, Amazon, thumbs up, thumbs down, great experience. Some of you've left a restroom where you push a button with a smiley face or a sad face on what was my experience. Some of you use Instagram where you give a thumbs up, like a like or a heart. Some of you are giving a, a heart in a, a text message 
saying, hey, that was good. All of that is giving data. Okay, but it's in the flow of something else. Let's say I got a text message from you and I wanted to say I liked it, but I had to sign into another system to say I liked it. Mm -hmm. I would never do it. Okay, so it's, does that make sense? So it's the the more the journey is all tied together, the better chance I'm gonna get at having data that shows that I can use it going forward. And that has to be value to me as a person not value to the HR function only. Yeah. When you say it, it sounds completely obvious, but in the kind of hurly-burly of everyday life and everyday HR, that's actually a really valuable lesson to remember and come back to some of the basics here. It's about... Hey, can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. As someone that's from the United States, yeah, I have no idea what a hurly-burly is. Is that... <laughs> Is that something I'm supposed to have as a drink tonight? Or is that a uh, cocktail? Or what is the hurly-burly? Well, it is a reference through Shakespeare's Macbeth about how things can get, uh, you know, super busy and, you know, get ups and downs and drama and this week's flavor of the month and, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so hurly-burly Shakespeare. My wife would be very upset with me that I'm so socially <laughs> awkward that I don't have the... That I don't, I'm not smart enough to tie that to Macbeth, so I'm sorry. I'm now really hoping it is Macbeth. I will check afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A couple of uh, final questions. So uh, where do you feel the human touch is lacking in HR? So HR oftentimes thinks of itself and wants to be a high touch function. And one of the things that's really important is to ask the question, do we want to be high touch digital or high touch human? And when in the journey do I want to shift from high-touch digital to high-touch human? Now, most organizations want to be high-touch digital as a starting point. But based on what someone's asking a question about or based on what's going on with someone's life, for example, if they were harassed at work, I probably don't want them to fill out everything in a form of technology because I want to listen to them and understand if there's some mental duress going on, if I need to get them into counseling and things like that. So, you know, in that case, I might start with high touch digital, but quickly go to high touch human. One of the concepts that we talk about a lot with generative AI is do I need a human in the loop or humans out of the loop? If someone wants to view their payslip, I don't need a human involved in that. You know, if the payslip's not right, do I provide someone context as to what to do? Maybe so they can stay on a digital journey. But then all of a sudden, when they can't make their mortgage payment because the payslip's not right, I probably should talk to a human because I want to show empathy. So what we're really trying to do is we're really trying to blend the balance of empathy and economics together. Because I can't scale the way I want to with every single capability. So I don't want to make the blanket statement that HR isn't empathetic enough or human enough. What I will say is that it's not targeted today in a systematic way to the things that matter most. So why am I spending all my time helping employees change their address in a system? That's probably not something that I should be focusing my dear resources on, my heart resources. Okay. But where I should be focusing my heart resources are 
on those things that drive engagement, on those things that drive retention, on those things that focus on the candidate and getting someone on board and being a buddy to them on an ongoing basis. So does that make sense? It's not that we're not being human enough. We're not being human enough in the right spots. Yeah. What I really liked about what you said is the phrase, we can't scale the way we want to without a digital strategy. And I think that's a really good reminder because of course we will have finite resources and infinite wants as do our employees. So that's a really good takeaway. Well, and the other thing, if I could just add to that is that you know, we all have to remember it's 2023 outside of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What year does it feel like inside of work? Mm-hmm. So, you know, our employees, depending on our business, they're used to doing things outside of work where they're not interacting with humans. And they're perfectly comfortable with it as long as it works and it's factual and it's trusted. So we have to, once again, this is back to the persona of the worker. How do I design for them? They're not going to want to, when they go to the doctor, they don't want to talk to a robot only if all of a sudden the doctor says they have a bad medical condition. But if the doctor says you just need a Band-Aid, they're probably fine talking to a robot. And I don't want to, I don't want to overplay robot, but I hope you know what I mean. I'm just trying to think about we have to think about work design yeah, and say, how do we design leveraging the resources we have? And today, for the first time ever, robots are part of our HR function. And the question is, is how do we create work in a balanced way between the robot and the human that amplifies the human, yeah. not replaces the human? Yeah. So everyone's HR organization just got a thousand more resources. The question is, what are they doing with them? Very good. A thousand more resources. I like that visualization. At Iris, we use tools to collect data on employee experience every single month. And that data goes right back to the manager in an anonymized fashion. And the manager can see how that employee is feeling that month and then track all the trends and be aiming and looking forward to making sure that we're optimizing the employee experience as much as possible. Do you think data can be used to deliver a more personalized service to staff? The, the best way to think about this, it's, it's such a great question. The best way to think about this is to think about our consumer experiences. Like people often say, is Instagram listening to us? Yes. And even if it's not listening to us verbally, it's listening to our actions that we touch like or not like, listening to our actions based on what we follow. Is Amazon listening to us? Yes. Is our dating app listening to us if we happen to use one? Yes. And why do I say that? Because whatever interaction we have creates the next interaction. And that's different from the past where, hey, guess what? We're going to do a release every three years. Just think about that. We're going to do a release every two or three years. And that's when we'll do enhancements. Like these tools today are enhancing by the second based on me. Okay. So if I'm liking something, if I'm enrolling in a class, if I'm working on whatever it is, opening a performance rack or a job rack, guess what? The system's knowing what I'm doing and it's guiding me along the way. So how am I using data? Data is structured data. It's unstructured data. Okay, it's both. And I'm using data, which are things like likes, 
things like good job, things like how I interact with people, things like if I send a Teams message or a Slack message to you, that's data. I'm using all of that data as fuel to create the future workforce experience. So that, guess what? I know how you work. I know you get up at six o'clock every morning. I know what you like to do after you get up at six o'clock every morning. And therefore I'm going to make sure that you have your coffee or you have your yoga or you have your meditation or whatever it is. Okay, I'm not gonna waste your time by saying, here's 9,000 things that you might think about this morning because guess what? That's not who you are. So data is going to allow for hyper-personalization of how people work, of how they experience work and how they feel. And I truly, truly believe in my heart of hearts that this is what's gonna make work better for my kids. I love that. We are also looking at the moment, of course, around all the kind of different demands of the different generations in the workplace. And I think there is demands across the piece, but especially from some of the younger workers entering companies like Iris is for this much better and more personalized experience of work. So really, really interested in hearing your thoughts there. We're humans outside of work. Yeah. What are we inside of work? The same human. Why should I be treated differently? Why should I have to lower my standards? Why should I do things differently? We shouldn't. Totally agree. Uh, moving on now to takeaways from the call. It's been an amazing call. I feel super inspired. I have lots and lots of takeaways. And if I was to kind of pick a couple of them, I'm going to be going away and making sure that the data strategy that we have here in the people department at Iris is fully linked once again and in support of the business strategy. And when we're sitting in board meetings and exco meetings, we are doing that. This is the data. This is what it means. And this is what's next to help make the business better. I'm also going to be looking at our digital HR strategy and elevating that. And one of the things, if I could just jump in there, I know you're summarizing, but digital strategy is different than a technology plan. So most organizations, when I say, I want to see your digital strategy, they give me a technology implementation plan. But it's really, really important that we put a lot more weight on our vision, on our measure of success, on the mindset we have, the how we're going to work. And if we do that, then the technology will work. Yeah. But if I don't, if I just count on the technology to change things, it's not going to change anything. Absolutely. And I'm thinking kind of more broadly about the process. Yes, for sure the journeys that we can underpin and how I can unlock a thousand more human resources (laughs) to help. Um, And then finally, it's all of this that we're talking about, the way that we're using data in a much better way is going to be driving competitive advantages for the businesses that we work for. So it's been a really inspirational podcast. So thank you very much. Do you have any takeaways from your perspective or things that you would like for us to remember? Well, yes. You know, the biggest takeaway for me it's just we live in a time where we have the best technology that we've ever had in our lifetime and a focus on experience and a focus on how does it feel to work with technology, hand in hand with technology, not to be replaced by technology. We can't afford to squander this opportunity. Thank you, Jason Averbuck. It's been an amazing podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. So happy to be here. Appreciate it.